Hello, I'm Rick Lancaster. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bible as we study through God's Word together. It's my hope that as we go through these messages that we will all grow in our understanding of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding, we'll also be better equipped to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith ours and others. If you have any questions about anything in this teaching, send me a message. I would love to connect with you. With that said, let's get into the Word and see what the Spirit would say to us today. So there's a phrase often attributed to my generation, me being a millennial, and this phrase goes, you do you. And I can see my wife already rolling her eyes back there. Um, this phrase is really popular amongst people my age. In fact, and I looked this up just for randomly. There were three songs in 2020 called You Do You. Like, it, it like permeates the culture. They're writing songs with this name. And this is how most people from my generation approach decision making. You do whatever makes you happy. You do whatever will benefit you the most. And you do whatever you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, I, I don't like this phrase. I'm not supposed to say hate, but that's what my notes say, all right? <laughs> uh, when I hear people say it, it just makes me go, oh, it's so wrong and it feels gross. And you know, even though my generation has a phrase for this, it's human nature. It goes back to the very beginning. In the Bible, it's often phrased differently. It's, it's as humans considering something in their own eyes couple of proverbs will pop up. The first one says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And the next one says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That first verse is calling you a fool if you think that you can make these decisions for yourself. And uh, it, it tells you to seek counsel. Bonus points, whose counsel do you think you should seek? Probably God's, right? The second verse then says, but what if you're wise? Then you can figure it out on your own, right? Well, it's going to imply that you will descend into evil if you think that you are wise. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy what's going to come in the future. Men living apart from God. 2 Timothy in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, it tells you, from such people turn away. I do not want to be counted among those that could be described this way. But how can I be sure that the decisions that I'm making are going to lead me away from that and towards God instead? That proverb tells you to fear the Lord and depart from evil. The key here is to understand that God has given you a will. We call it free will. You can exercise your own will to do whatever you want to do. God's given you that right to make those decisions. He's also made clear in his word that he has a will and a purpose. And he invites us into his will 
to participate in his good work to grow his kingdom. So where can we go to receive God's counsel to know his goodwill? This same chapter is going to continue down in verse 16. It's going to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is telling us that good counsel comes from God's word. And through reading his word and praying that he would impart understanding of his word, uh, we can be equipped for good works. So let's go to God now in prayer as we prepare to open his word and ask that he would reveal himself to us. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather in this place this morning to open your word and to hear from you, God, I pray that our hearts would be opened. Lord, that we would receive the word that you have for us in humility, um, willing to see where we fall short. And Lord, we pray that you would um, fill us full of your spirit and give us understanding of your word. Lord, as, uh, as you deem appropriate what we're ready for, Lord, make it known to us so that we could be more like Christ, which is our true desire. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So I've introduced a pretty broad topic, God's will for your life. You know, there are so many facets to this, and we could talk about it forever. And we should talk about it forever, which is why we meet multiple times per week through Bible studies and through discipleship. And it's why we should read our Bible every day, is to understand that God has a will for you, and you can know it better if you spend time with him. Um, not only is the topic really broad, but it can be really hard sometimes to feel confident in the will of God, to know this is what's God telling me to do. And, uh, you know, maybe you've sought God's counsel, you've talked to a pastor, an elder, or a dear friend who's strong in Christ, and still the decision doesn't seem clear. That, that is just a fact of life sometimes, that God has not yet chosen to reveal himself in that way. But other times, God's will is absolutely clear, and there's no question about it. You may struggle with it. You may tell yourself, I don't really know, but God has already said what he means. And I want to hone in on one of those aspects today. Let's go back to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and let's hone in on something here. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. When reading this verse, it's easy to think that Paul is just listing a bunch of wicked things, and he is. But um, until I was preparing for this message, I hadn't caught on to the fact that I think Paul really, really cares about one of these things in particular, that being thankfulness. And obviously, as Thanksgiving's coming up and you heard all the worship songs we did, you know, we're talking about thankfulness in our culture because we're celebrating it and whatever that means um, for certain people. Um, so I thought that this would be a really timely um, topic to talk about what does God say about thankfulness and the giving of thanks. Um, so I also thought naively when, when I chose this subject, like, I've been around the church since I was basically born. This is going to be easy, right? And then I started a word study, 
it's not so easy. And there's that Bible verse about, uh, you know, uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Man, as soon as I got into it, I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. And um, yeah, so thankfulness. Do you know what God's will for you is in this area? You might feel like you know the answer, but can you point to in the Bible where it tells you exactly what God's will is for you in this? You can, and we've opened to it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's no argument here. You can't say that, uh, you know, sometimes we have to be thankful, and sometimes it's hard. The fact of the matter is, God has told you his will for your life, and that is to be thankful, to give thanks always, uh, as it says, uh, in everything, give thanks. So as followers of Christ, that's a commandment. We get to choose to be in God's will, though. That's the point about free will. We have to make that decision. If we seek his counsel in this topic, it's not hard to find. It's right there. We're going to see through this message that it comes up over and over again, too. God is quite clear in talking about this repeatedly, which probably means he cares a lot about it as well. His will for you, his will for me, is to be thankful in all things. One of the things that amazes me about God's word is that even the most straightforward topic, like being thankful, has immense depth. And I want to echo Paul's sentiment in this. In Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God just threw an image in my... I hadn't thought of this before. Okay, so you know, Paul, they they think he had trouble with his eyes, and so it it might have all been scribed by something else, somebody else. I like to think of this verse as, um, you know, Paul's talking, because I think before this he was talking about... um, I forget in Romans 11. Something about the Jewish people, though. And then he breaks out into this cool praise, and I imagine the scribes, like, writing what he says and then notices that Paul's just, like, off the rails, and he's like, okay, I'll just wait. And Paul's like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. And then he goes, why aren't you writing this down? Write that down. People need to know this. Anyway, little in my head. All right, back to it. God has taught me in this subject, and I wish to share with you today just how deep and rich thankfulness in the Bible really is. I brought up Paul already several times. We're going to continue reading some of the Pauline epistles. But, um, you know, that's for good reason. Paul went through some stuff, you know? Read 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, I think it is. And he's being um, challenged by false teachers in his authority that God's given him. And he just, he starts listing it shipwrecks and being stoned and persecuted and not having anything. And um, even through all his hardships, we'll see that he continues to give thanks, real, deep, and meaningful thanks to God. Now, don't misunderstand what I think God's trying to tell us here. This isn't a guilt trip. It's not like you should be thankful because Paul went through so much more right? It's not uh, eat your food because there's starving kids in Africa type of like, like weird guilt, right? You, it's, it's an opportunity. This is about sanctification, 
This is an opportunity to be more like Christ. And, um, you know, God cares about you and your circumstances. He cares deeply about your trials and your tribulations. And if you grieve in your spirit, he is the comforter. Pastor Randy already quoted uh, Philippians 4, you know, and in everything give thanks uh, through prayer and supplication. That continues on to say, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's not that giving thanks that, like, you should just ignore all your problems and give thanks. It's not that God is saying, I don't care about that stuff. Just be, be easy. Do what I tell you to do. He cares about our problems. But yet he's going to show us that there's something so much richer in life than our temporal circumstances. So as I study this topic to try to understand God's command and how I could be obedient to it. Uh, I thought, let's start with a word study. So I want to share with you today what I learned through a word study um, on the topic of thankfulness. So Nate, get your uh, pen and paper out, dude. <laughs> Last week, Nate tells me, every time you teach, I feel like I'm in a college course. We're going for it today, man. <laughs> All right, so let's start by looking back at the verse we read in 1 Thessalonians. It'll pop up here because I want you guys to see the Greek and Hebrew words that we're going to look at. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is the word Eucharistio. And straight off the bat, I learned something pretty cool. This is where, where the word Eucharist comes from. We call it Holy Communion because we're not all that liturgical. But in other denominations, they're going to call it the Eucharist or Holy Supper or something like that. It comes from this word, this word that means to give thanks. I thought that was pretty cool. So in the Gospels, this same word is used uh, whenever Jesus is thanking God for his provision. In both instances of uh, feeding the crowd, uh, both the 4,000 and the 5,000, this is the uh, Greek word that we see. So in Matthew 15, 36, it says, And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, that is, Eucharistio. Then in John 6, 11, it says, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, and we see the same word there. Also at the Passover meal, when Jesus is um, taking his last supper with the disciples, it says in Mark 14, 23, he then took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. That's the same word. One thing I love about word studies and Stuttering, studying other languages is uh, words can carry so much weight. You know, I think as we speak English, uh, most of us who only know probably one language, um, you know, the, the connotations and the depth of our own language are probably kind of lost on us. But when you look at another language and you learn their words, but you also learn like the connotations and the, the context of why you might use this word versus that word. You know, they say that in Greek, there's like 11 words for love, and we just say love. All those words carry with it some special meaning, and we're going to see that that's true in this as well. The word eucharistio that we've uh, seen here is a derivative of another word, charizomai, and this word means favor or pardon or rescue. Biblical thankfulness is tied to something specific. 
The world will say that you get to decide when to be thankful, and if the situation doesn't benefit you, there's no reason for gratitude. But thankfulness in the Bible is being fully aware that God has rescued you. It's even deeper than that, though. Kiritsamai comes from another word, charis, meaning graciousness. It's recognizing God's favor and accepting his gift of grace. And that word comes from another word, Cairo. Cairo means to be full of cheer and to rejoice. So thankfulness is being, following this all the way through, what all these words are implying is that thankfulness is being aware of God's provision, both physical and spiritual, what he's provided for you, recognizing and accepting his pardon and rejoicing in your salvation. It's so much more than just saying like, oh yeah, thanks, thanks God, that's cool, I'm gonna go about my business now. And it's even more than saying, you know, oh man, I was at church and it was awesome, we were, you know, giving away all the, all the Christmas boxes, I'm being so generous with, with what God has given me. It's more than that. It's seeing your position before a holy God and knowing that there was nothing that you could do to bridge that gap and yet he did it for you. We sang those words earlier. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. We're praising God for the work that he's done. And that's what true thankfulness is. This verse that we've read in 1 Thessalonians is really cool because it actually comes full circle. Let's read it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This word rejoice is that word Cairo. So the word give thanks is based on the word rejoice. And it's like, you're going to rejoice because you're thankful. And because you're thankful, you're going to rejoice. It's like circular, right? As you dig deeper into this, you see that there is no end to it. The command from God is to be always rejoicing and always giving thanks. And these two things are deeply connected. You can't have one without the other. Notice that there's no need to talk about your circumstances. We haven't even talked about that yet. It's all about what God has done for you. You've been pulled up from the grave. You are born again. You are a citizen of the unshakable and unending kingdom of God. And that's what we can be thankful for. And if you're not rejoicing in that, how do you prove your thankfulness? You know, in James it says, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. In this thankfulness without rejoicing is lacking and it's empty and it's it's worldly rather than godly i did a word study of thankfulness in the old testament as well i mean don't forget all the writers of the new testament though they wrote in greek they were all jewish they would have known hebrew and they would have certain cultural understandings uh, from their language and their culture um, so Let's see how it looks in the ancient Hebrew. So let's bring up Psalm 100, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. And we're going to read it in its entirety. It's very short. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. This word that is translated thanksgiving is the Hebrew word todah. I mean, I'm butchering all these words. You guys know that, right? Don't be like, oh man, David's really, no. 
I'm looking at how to pronounce this, and I'm like, mm-mm. Uh, this word is often translated praise as well. Depending on the translation you read, it might also be praise. This word literally means extension of the hands as in a choir of worshipers. And as a worship leader, I wasn't expecting to see something about what we do in worship while doing this word study on thankfulness. But we'll come back to that in a second. So the Greek idea of thankfulness was attached to the idea of rejoicing. And I find it fascinating that the Hebrew word for thankfulness is attached to the idea of praise. And we sometimes think of, you know, thankfulness as a feeling or as an attitude and something like praise or rejoicing as an action. But like I've already said, the two are inseparable. You can't be thankful or you can't prove your thankfulness even to yourself if it doesn't result in praise and rejoicing to God. This word toda has its roots in the word yada. Uh, This is the word used in the phrase that's repeated throughout the whole Old Testament. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We sing a song that repeats that over and over as well. Um, The word yada, uh, just real shortly, is based on the word yad, which means an open hand. Um, The word yada means literally to use that open hand, especially to revere or worship with extended hands. Again, this idea of worship and lifting hands and worship tied directly to this idea of thankfulness. I I just, I found this so fascinating. And uh, that, you know, as I looked out, as we were worshiping, and you guys probably know, I close my eyes a whole lot because I get distracted, but I open my eyes and I see people lifting their hands. And, um, It's so interesting that that idea of worshiping God and lifting your hands can all be summed up in one Hebrew word, and they would understand what that means. I've I've heard people at, like, worship conferences and stuff kind of go back and forth on, like, the appropriateness of lifting your hands in corporate worship, and I always thought, ooh, wow, so intellectual, like, I love hearing this stuff, and then I'm like, wait a second, like, that's that's what they do. It's in the word, just... All the people saying it's not appropriate, I don't listen to them anymore. (laughs) This sealed the deal for me. I was like, it's it's right there. Why would you keep somebody from doing that or suggest to them that it's not appropriate? In your thankfulness, if you're going to open your hands and give that idea of everything that I have is yours, God, why would you not express yourself in that way? And and the idea of corporate worship and and doing that, you know, it's between you and God, but I think, you know, you would realize there's those around you too, and you're, you're making like a public proclamation that, Lord, I'm thankful for everything, and I don't consider any of it mine. I, I was not expecting to have a little mini worship study inside of this thankfulness study, so I thought that was really cool. All right, so this word, yada, is used many times and is translated often as thanks or praise, same as the other word, toda. And we are seeing the connection between these two things, thankfulness and the action uh, in responding in praise. Both of these words also carry another meaning, though. They're translated throughout the Old Testament sometimes as confess or confession. This usage is um, found uh, in many places, including Leviticus and Numbers, um, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. In these instances, the people of Israel are confessing their sin, either their sin, the sin of their fathers or ancestors, or the sin of the nation of Israel as a whole. 
They're confessing this to God. The idea here is that um, they're agreeing with God about his assessment of sin. They're saying, yes, God, I realize that I've sinned. They're not trying to hide it anymore. It's thankfulness and praise are rooted in this understanding that you are sinful and then that sin has consequences. Okay, I want to go back to the Greek for another set of words that are translated as thanks. The first, I've practiced this one so many times, I'm not going to get it, is exomologio. That was bad. Just delete that from the recording later. In Matthew 11:25, 25, uh, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and had revealed them to babes. This word... Um, means to fully agree. It, it's obviously translated as thanks, but it comes with this idea of full agreement. And Jesus here is in perfect agreement with God. This word, and the reason I wanted to bring this one up is because this word is sometimes translated as confess. Just as the Hebrew idea of thankfulness and confession are tied together, so is this Greek word. In Mark 1, 5, um, as the people are coming to John the Baptist to be baptized, it says, Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Jesus was in agreement with God about the sins of the people and in agreement with God's judgment on them, and that was to not reveal himself to those who considered themselves wise and prudent. Instead, to reveal himself to the simple people, those he described as babes, those who the world might look upon and say, you're not deserving of anything. You're, you're simple-minded. You, you don't understand the intricacies of this and that. And God is saying, but those are the people that are willing and ready to accept me, and they don't have all these barriers. And Jesus is saying, God, you were right in your judgment of those people. And the people coming to John the Baptist in this verse are agreeing with God. They're saying, God, I recognize and I confess my sin before you, and I understand my need to be baptized, to be washed clean. The word that this word um, comes from is um, homologio. Oh, man, that's, how do you do this sometimes? It's so rough, man. Let's go to the next slide. Yeah, so you can see the first word is uh, an article plus the second word. So let's look at the second word and understand what connotation this brings with it. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's this new word here. This word means to acknowledge and to confess. And again, here it's translated as give thanks. But in 1 John 1, 9, it's translated with confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our confession of sin is paired with thanksgiving. And um, what I found really fascinating about this particular verse is that understanding that this word is paired with the idea of thanks really opened my mind about what God is trying to tell us in this verse that I would consider absolutely crucial to a believer to understand that if you confess your sins, God is going to cleanse you of it and you can be made righteous. And a lot of us struggle with this idea, but God tells you that it's the truth. But this idea of 
of confession and knowing that God will cleanse you, there's no hesitation from God in this. Our confession is both confession and thanksgiving at the same time. We don't confess and then wait for a call back from God where he says, all right, I've processed your claim. And, uh, you know, after speaking with my supervisor, we've decided to cleanse you of this. He's already given you his word and his son. And when you confess, be thankful because you've been washed clean. There is no hesitation here. Our confession should um, immediately result in thankfulness, knowing that we've been cleansed. I wanted to come back to the second set of Greek words because I wanted to see how this thread of thankfulness is unbroken throughout the whole Bible. Thankfulness is acknowledging your sin, confessing that God is holy in his judgment, yet gracious and merciful. He has become our rescue to pardon us from judgment, and our response, the proof of our thankfulness, is praise and rejoicing. I can't help but repeat those words of Paul that we read earlier. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I've never thought about thankfulness in this way before. You know, every year you come around to Thanksgiving and I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for my pets and all this stuff. And I feel like on some level, you know, if you're a Christian, like, of course you're thankful to God. But have you really spent time with it to understand that this is his will for you? to be giving thanks in all things because of these reasons and to let it affect the way that you behave and the, the attitudes you take and the actions you choose. So now that we have a better understanding of what biblical thanks is, we should look at what it means practically. How do we let it affect our lives? We saw Paul's words about people in the last days that they're going to be unthankful. And I mentioned how I believe Paul put that in there really intently. That it wasn't just like he's listing a bunch of stuff, but he was like, unthankfulness has to be in this list. And um, we also read in Proverbs how contempt for the Lord and his counsel is the path of evil. And during the course of this word study, I found that the writings of Paul provided a constant reminder of thankfulness. And I'm going to suggest that this was not by accident or that, uh, you know, it was just he passively wrote these things. I think he is intent in reminding us always, every reader that these, reads these words, that bi the biblical idea of thankfulness is a commandment. And we ought to be living and and acting in thankfulness. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 to take a look at this. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, whenever pastor sees a therefore, we have to find the wherefore. Right? So chapter 4 talks about uh, unity in God and um, that uh, people should be patient with one another and that there's one body and one Lord and that there's different spiritual gifts but one purpose and that through Christ you are a new man walking in holiness and you should put aside anger and disputes and, uh, because those things grieve the spirit. That's what chapter 4 in a nutshell, the spark notes on chapter 4. And um, 
Continuing then in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. God says, therefore, because of these things, speaking about unity and love, you ought to walk in them. As dear children of God, imitate your Father. Be loving and be in unity with those around you. He then continues on with a warning in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is not fitting for saints, or as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. So then he tells us, don't do these things. All right. It might seem obvious, but how easy is it to accidentally fall into some of these things, to, to be jealous or to make a joke that was probably inappropriate or something like that, right? Let's continue in verse 4. But rather giving of thanks. He's suggesting to us that to ensure you're not tempted by this other stuff, Rather, give thanks. That's that word uh, Eucharistia that we looked at earlier. Remember, God has made you new. And, and you don't have to give way to the sinful nature anymore. Be thankful and rejoice instead. And by beginning in a state of thankfulness, we can engage in the things of God. Let's jump down in the same chapter to verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is telling us that we can know the will of God, continuing in verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul encourages us to walk in the ways of God, to engage in righteous and holy things rather than the unholy. And it all culminates in giving thanks to God. It started there and it ends there. You can avoid the bad things by giving thanks. And then you can engage in the good things and they will lead you to more thankfulness. At least that's the idea, right? <laughs> All right, next, then, he's going to continue um, just the very beginning of, um, or the verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So by giving thanks, we are ready to submit to one another. And he's going to continue in this book, then, to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about how should husbands and wives relate to one another. What about children to parents or masters to slaves? It's a little far-fetched for our culture, but maybe read that as co-workers, your boss, or those subordinate to you. Our relationship with one another is directly affected by the depth of our understanding of Christ's sacrifice and what it means for us and our response to it. That's what he's saying here. Start by giving thanks, engage in good things, and give thanks, and now here's how to relate to one another. But you can't do that if you're not beginning in thankfulness. You will be ill-equipped for the struggles that relationships bring. God doesn't try to say everything's going to be smooth and easy. But by beginning in this attitude, you will find victory in him. 
Am I, if I am thankful to God, aware of my sin nature, choosing rather to give thanks and rejoice, my heart and spirit will be ready to participate in his good work, in the work of marriage and parenting and with coworkers. And if I refuse to be humble and refuse uh, to acknowledge God's truth in this, these relationships just don't work out. Let's move now to uh, Colossians chapter 3, probably just a couple pages over. And um, I just want to make the point here that Paul really cares about this stuff. We're going to read a similar theme here. So this chapter starts by reminding the reader that you have been raised with Christ and to set your minds on things above. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 3, he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, Paul's telling us what to avoid. As Christians, we should not be partakers in these types of things. Continuing then in verse 9. Oh, oh I, I meant to read more of verse 9. Wait, where did I stop? I was supposed to start in verse 5. I started in verse 3. That makes sense. I was like, what the, what in the world? All right, let's read um, 5 through 9. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So these are the things he's telling us not to do. That's a more complete list. That's what he meant to say. Um, but then continuing, he says, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. This amazing opportunity we have in Christ culminates in thankfulness. How do you put on kindness and humility and patience and love? Start with thankfulness. Begin with the knowledge of your sin and how far off you were and know that God has rescued you from it. Then, continuing in verse 16, let the word of God Christ let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts towards the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you begin in thankfulness, God's truth and his word will find fertile soil in your hearts and it can take root and it can grow into something beautiful. Let these words that we've read today dwell in you. Meditate on them and ask God to help you with it. And in anything you do, like it says here, do in the name of Christ, giving thanks. Let your actions begin and end in thankfulness. 
After this encouragement that we just read in Colossians 3, Paul continues then to talk about your relationships. Again, husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves. He's going to make the point again that relationships only work in a godly way if they're based in biblical thankfulness. Let's turn, we're doing all sorts of biblical gymnastics today. Let's uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. So after talking about the will of God and, and how meaningful this ought to be to us, I want us to consider the ramifications of disobedience in this area. If we're not giving thanks, what does God say about that? Because he has a lot to say about giving thanks. He also has something to say about if you refuse to do that. In this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is going to speak about discontentment. Discontentment can only exist in the absence of thankfulness. So they're a sort of opposite. Uh, starting in verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches otherwise, again, otherwise from what he had said previously, and previously he was talking about relationships, how Timothy ought to relate to those in his church with widows and with elders, and again with the idea of masters and slaves. So, if he's, so he's saying, if anyone teaches you a different thing about thankfulness, and does not, continuing in verse 3, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, uh, of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such, withdraw yourself. This is pretty strong language. He's saying those that ignore the truths of God and what he's told you to do, the doctrines that he's teaching, he's calling them stupid in even more strong language probably than that, right? Destitute and, and obsessed with arguing. Um, in verse 6, it said, uh, no, at the end of uh, verse 5, it said, uh, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. He's saying that there's people among you who, who refuse to yield themselves to God in this area, and they're going to bring corruption, and they're going to think that talking godly things is a mean of, means of gaining something, and that something's going to be very worldly and material. He'll move on later to talking about greed for money, but I think it's more general than that in this case. Continuing in verse 6 then, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes, godliness has great gain to it if there's thankfulness attached to it. If you find yourself content with what God has given you, being willing to say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin, then you're going to gain eternal life, and there's nothing more than that that you could ever want right? So continuing in verse 7 and 9, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Those who are discontent will fall into temptation, 
foolish and harmful lusts and destruction and perdition. Perdition being damnation. Eternal death. That discontentment in a human's life can cause the end of it all. That there's no opportunity if you refuse to be thankful. I think Paul's being real serious about this topic. So we can see the impact then of discontentment when we look out into the world and sometimes even when we look in to the church. If you don't begin in thankfulness, knowing that God has pulled you out of the grave, you aren't equipped by his spirit to participate in his good work. I want to look then at um, what we've read here and see how the lack of thankfulness has affected the world around us. One of the relationships that Paul talked about was husband and wife, right? Marriage continues to be a battlefield. And still, when I looked up this statistic, I was hoping to find something different. It still says 50% of all marriages end in divorce. I've been hearing that all my life, and it just doesn't change. And, and that's true both in the world and in the church. It, it doesn't uh, get better just because you say you love Christ. If you're not thankful and you're not setting aside your circumstances to understand what God has done for you, then marriage, the struggles of marriage are going to break you and you're going to end up walking down paths of evil that lead to destruction. I read that the U.S. is the sixth highest in divorce rates in the world. That just made me so sad. But not only in divorce rates, we can talk about marriage uh, from a cultural and political point of view. Um, I read that divorce rates were actually falling, this one report. And um, they were saying it, it's falling and that this year's um, increase in divorce rates is because the COVID pandemic halted filings for divorce. So they're saying it's, it's not really actually raising, it's, uh, it's just like, lumped up two years in a row, right? They also failed to mention, though, that marriage rates have been dropping. And you don't get divorced if you don't get married, right? And so the point here is that, uh, let's read Proverbs um, chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Both divorce and the refusal to get married in the first place indicate a lack of thankfulness. Marriage is a blessed gift from God. It is a picture of the oneness of the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being eternally one with one purpose and one essence. You don't see that in any other place other than in marriage. And this relationship will challenge you and will refine you and bring you into deeper things. And, and the hardships... Hard is not the same as bad. God will bring hard things to draw you into something deeper. But remaining unthankful has led to discontent people to pursue foolish and harmful lusts. I read another statistic that said of all births in the United States, 41% are born to unwed mothers, and that increases to 53%. Over half of babies born to women under 30 are not married. This leads us to the next relationship Paul talked about, which was parents and children. A report I read said that 25% of children live without the presence of their biological father, 
and 23% of children live with only one parent and no other adult. Not only are children being abandoned by their fathers, but no one is willing to step in and teach them and, and guide them and bring them into some adult knowledge, hopefully that of God, but to, to guide these children away from, you know, the emotional instability that surrounds them. On top of this, we see things like child abuse. During the lockdown, talking again about the COVID pandemic, uh, health authorities, including the National Library of Medicine, the World Health Organization, and the CDC, all said that child abuse and neglect increased during the pandemic. Parents, some parents, spending more time with their kids realized how much they don't even like their kids. So much so that they were willing to do horrible and terrible things to them, to neglect them and abuse them. And the worst part about this, what really made me sad, is if you look at child abuse reporting, it all takes a drop during 2020. The reporting of child abuse stopped because teachers weren't there and you know, they lock everything down. Teachers aren't there. Church leaders aren't there. Family isn't there to see these things and intervene on it. And instead, parents who are refusing to be thankful for the opportunity to raise a child instead are stuck in a room with them and, and make horrible decisions. You can see this in, in this trend. I don't know if you guys have seen of the mommy wine culture thing. It's like, all these things, you see them on Instagram and stuff of moms saying like, just at the end of the day, I need my glass of wine because my kids were, were so draining or were so hard to deal with. It's like, you need alcohol to escape the gift from God. Uh, Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. We see parents not being thankful not praising and rejoicing in the opportunity to work in the will of God. And so they're not equipped by his spirit to raise his children. If your marriage is refining, raising kids is even more so. There is no better picture of God's love for us than that that should be between a parent and a child. And God gave his only son, and the son gave his very life, and I would give anything for my kids. But as with marriage, where people just stop getting married altogether, so we find a culture that has decided to just stop having babies altogether. They're still drawn to foolish and harmful lusts. Understand, pregnancy isn't waning, but birth rates are. I mean, there's kids in the room, so I won't get into much to it, but you can see from our last elections we just had, what that means. Prop one that Randy's been warning us so much about passed with like 63% or something like that. That many people who are just willing to throw away a gift from God, to totally scorn and be unthankful for the most beautiful thing God has to offer to you. In Romans chapter one, this discontentment is going to result in judgment. Romans 1 verse 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. I want to pause real quick. Although they knew God. He's, what Paul's talking about is that creation itself speaks of God. Everyone knows God. You may refuse to admit it. You may refuse to even see it. But 
although they knew God, that being everybody, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And continuing in verse 29, he said, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Unthankfulness leads to all sorts of temptations, to many foolish and harmful lusts. And we see it prevalent in the world today. Paul will continue in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, telling us to flee all of these things. How do we flee ungodliness? Remember Ephesians 4, but rather giving thanks. Pursue Christ and heed the counsel of God to fulfill his will for you. Let's read again um, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's a choice that you make. You have to act on this. It doesn't happen by accident. Our sinful nature won't allow it. But if you are a believer, God has given you his spirit to bring life to your mortal body. And his spirit bears witness to the fact that you are called a child of God and you are invited to call him father. And this is the knowledge that should bring you to continual thanks and endless rejoicing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning and we speak on a topic that I thought was going to be light but turned up to be extremely convicting for me, Lord, I pray that these words would dwell in us, Lord, that we would begin in thankfulness. We would see our sin and the work that you performed on Calvary to bridge the gap between our lack of understanding in this area and your holy judgment, Lord, that your mercy and your grace was poured out on us and we can have a relationship with you, that we can call you Abba, Father, that we are invited to come before your throne to obtain, to obtain mercy and grace in time of need, Lord. I pray that your word would, would land in us and we would hold up our life against it. Lord, be willing to see what things in life we're refusing to be thankful in and realize that you use strong language about what unthankfulness will lead us to. Lord, I pray that it would be our desire to flee from those things, as Paul tells Timothy. And Lord, that starts in giving thanks. So Lord, we come and as we approach Thanksgiving this week, Lord, we are thankful to you for all the things in our lives, but mostly for Christ and his blood shed on the cross that we are your children with eternal life. Lord, help us to be bold in sharing this idea of thankfulness with those that we gather with, God. And we pray that those who don't know you in this time of Thanksgiving, they might come to know that thankfulness has a much deeper, deeper and richer meaning and that they can, be, they can come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. It's one of my core beliefs that the Bible or Word of God has the power to transform our lives. It's my hope that these messages will help you to do just that and to glorify God and bless others and grow faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with me. You'll find ways to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to my sermon notes and other resources to help you in your study of God's Word. And sometimes we do need help to grow in our faith. If there's anything that I can do, don't hesitate to connect with me. I love talking to God's people about God and His Word. So send me your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. This message was shared at Calvary Chapel French Valley in Murrieta, California. If you'd like more information about the church, go to calvaryfv.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, stay in the word and have a radical week with Jesus. Oh,